Good being God's house. Amen? Amen. And, boy, I'm glad that, uh, I'm glad that heaven's a reality, aren't you? Yes, to some folks, they think it's just a figment of our imagination. Ted Turner once said that Christianity was just a crutch for feeble-minded people. He's probably right. But it's more than a crutch. It's what I fully lean on. Amen. And I sure am glad that we know, I'm glad that we know Christ and I'm glad that He has a place prepared for us on the other side. And I'm glad that the, the central theme of heaven is still the Lord Jesus Christ. And I realize that from a human perspective, and one fellow said one time, said, I never did get too excited about walls of jasper, gates of pearl, because I never had enough of those things on this life to make me want them. And I guess there's a truth in that. The reality is that all of us are looking to see those extraordinary things that lie on the other side. What I've always tried to point out to folks was that things that are so valuable down here are just used as building materials up there. Amen. Amen. Not many of you have a piece of asphalt hanging around your neck this morning. Right? Amen. But in heaven, they pave the street with it. Just pave the street with it. And I say praise the Lord for a place where Jesus... The Bible said that they have no sun in heaven because he is the light of that city. And they don't have a temple. They don't have a church house in heaven because the whole purpose is the center of that city is the Lamb. And he's there for us to worship him. Amen. Thank God. Well, it's good to be in God's house. Good to be here in uh, America slash Plains at the Lighthouse Baptist Church. Amen. And, uh, boy, I'm excited about being here. First time we've ever been to the church, but I feel like that I... Kind of have been here because I know so many of you and what a joy it is to be here. Excited about these days of revival, looking forward to what God has in store for us. And I've often said this in revival meetings, God will be more than glad to bag you up a doggy bag to take home, but he doesn't do home delivery. Some of y'all get that in a little bit, amen. So make sure you're in your place tonight and these nights that the Lord has afforded us so that we can enjoy the things that God has supplied and God will provide for us in these days. I'm in John chapter number 20. I'd like to take our text there this morning and bring our message. If you'll pray for us and ask the Lord to help us today. John chapter number 20. We want to say thank you to the church for the good accommodations over at the hotel and uh, thank you so much for the baskets that was left in the room. Myself and our boys certainly appreciate that and uh, we mean that from the depths of our heart. I had a Greeting for you, and I almost forgot until I stepped back in the fellowship hall this morning. I saw the picture of your missionaries on the wall. I just came back about a week and a half ago from Panama, South America, and uh, while I was there, I preached a teen camp. And because I was preaching three times a day, that the missionary I was with, Brother Franklin Booth, put out a word for others to come in and translate. And John Williams came and translated two days to actually two and a half days for me. Um, and then, of course, his brother-in-law, Abe Thomas, did the same thing and uh, the first two days of the camp. And so I tried to work him over real good, preaching three times a day, amen. And I got to tell you, I, I told Brother Jamie, I said, the crowd I was preaching for is a little bit stiffer than uh, than uh, what we are, all right? I'll just put it like that. I mean, I they they, they have a little different cut. He's Brother, brother Boosel from Waycross, he ought to know better, Amen. But, uh, but, but, but they, they're a little, they're a little quieter, you know, they're, they're a little more formal. I don't think they knew what to do with John. I'm just be honest about it. Amen. And, uh, and I, you know, I, I, translation is what translation is. And 
There's days it works real good, and there's days when you wonder why you're doing what you're doing. Somebody say amen right there. And John made it easy, and he said, I told him we were coming down to Lighthouse, and he said, please tell everyone here hello when I came this way. So we certainly enjoyed his company while we were there. John chapter number 20, John chapter number 20, and let me, uh, let me pick up reading in verse number 19. Now, to put you in mind of where we are in the context of the passage of Scripture, Jesus, of course, has been crucified, and he was buried after his death. And, and, and in chapter number 20, we are brought to the reality of the resurrection. And, uh, and, and, and the women have gone early to the sepulcher, and the disciples have followed, and, of course, the stone has been rolled back, and the tomb is empty. And then Mary Magdalene is lingering near the tomb in the middle of chapter number 20, and Jesus appears unto her. But when we start reading in verse number 19, this is the first time that uh, that Jesus, as the resurrected Lord, has appeared to a group of his disciples. And so we need to keep that in mind when we begin to read that. They know that he predicted his resurrection, but as of yet, they have no evidence of his resurrection other than some angels standing outside the tomb and some uh, a stone that's been rolled away and a body that's missing, amen, but Christ has risen. And the scripture said, and I'll pick up in verse number 19. We'll just read down through verse number 23. The Bible said, then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week. So it's that resurrection Sunday. The Bible said, when the doors were shut. Now, I think that's intriguing to me because in this passage, you'll find that mentioned two times. One here in verse 19, one in verse Number 26, the Bible talks about those shut doors. And he said they were shut because the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews. So there's a, there's a problem in the text because the door's closed. Instead of being open, it's closed. They were hiding out. They done moved the furniture over in front of the door. They were fearful for their lives, the Bible said. But then in verse number 19, the scripture said, then came Jesus and stood in the midst. I'm glad he's not really concerned about shut doors. Amen. Amen. Those doors that have been shut for fear and shut because of adversity and shut because of difficulty and shut because of hindrances. He just passed right through. Amen. And suddenly, despite the fact that the door was closed, Jesus is standing in the midst. And look at the message he delivered. He saith unto them... Peace be unto you. I'm glad that he brings peace in where the doors are closed. Amen. Look at verse number 20. The Bible said, when he had so said, he showed unto them his hands and his side. Then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord. Then said Jesus to them again, peace be unto you. As my Father hath sent me, even so send I you And when he had said this, he breathed on them and saith unto them, Receive ye the Holy Ghost, whosoever sins ye have remit, uh, sins you remit, they are remitted unto them, and whosoever sins you retain, they are retained. Now I want to draw your mind up today to verse number 20 and the following verses just for a few moments. The Bible reminds us now that Jesus has showed up in this place where the disciples are gathered for fear of the Jews. They're hiding out. They're 
fearful for their life, Christ comes and, and he says, Peace be unto you. And then the scripture said he showed unto them his hands and his side. Now, you and I would both agree this morning that verses that I've read today, here in verse number 19 and following, they really represent a transitional period in the life of these disciples. Amen? Uh, Things are about to change, if I could say it that way. They've never seen it on this fashion before. For some three and a half years, they have rested in the reality of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's been among them. They've sat at His table. He has provided for them. And they've been ever aware of His physical presence as they literally have lived with Him for these years of ministry. But now they watched Him die. He's been crucified. And when He appears unto them, even in the context of my Scripture today, uh, the Bible would seem to indicate that he has a different appearance. He needs to identify himself to his disciples. Then if I could go a little further in these verses of Scripture, uh, the Bible would remind us that Christ is about to dispatch them on the greatest journey that's ever been known to mankind. It's a journey that started 2,000 years ago and it's still in effect today. And that is the commission of the New Testament church to reach the world with the gospel. Amen. Wow, what a day. Amen. My goodness, what an exciting time. I know it's fearful. I know there's some frightening things. But they got a new start. They thought things was over. They watched him shut his eyes. They watched him cry aloud. They watched his chin drop on his chest. They watched the blood run down from the cross. They knew he was dead. But now he's alive. And because of His resurrection, there's a fresh start. There's a new start in their lives. It's that new start I want to deal with today for just a little while. And I want to show you some things out of this passage of Scripture that are necessary in our lives for a fresh start. Amen. I want you to see some things today that need to be right in our lives as we as we move forward in uh, our experience of grace, in our walk with Christ, uh, and there's some things that need to be right. Number one, I want you to write this down. Uh, I notice in verse number 20 specifically this morning uh, that, that their vision was right. Amen. Uh, now, I, I realize, I realize uh, that there's a lot of things about vision. Proverbs 29 has said where there's no vision, the people perish. Oftentimes there's a focus in that verse about seeing the need of the gospel outside of the walls of the church. I'd agree with that. I'd say it's without hesitation that your community needs Christ. Amen. And that your friends and your family and your neighbors are in desperate need of the life-changing message that the gospel brings over and over again. But I'm interested this morning in another vision. In this text, the Bible said that when they saw the Lord, they were glad. Amen. May I say, if you and I are going to have a fresh start, a new beginning, if we're going to walk away from revival meeting with a fresh step, with a fresh spring in our step, and a new outlook on our Christian walk, and a new determination 
that can do something for the honor and the glory of God. It'll start by a fresh look. Amen. And boy, I believe with all my heart that we need a vision of the sinner. We need a vision of the unsaved. We need a vision of the world around us. And can I say we likewise must obtain a vision of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. There's got to be a refocus of our mind and a refocus of our attention as we zero in on what is most important, and that is our relationship with the God of heaven in His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Hey, these disciples were fearful. They were afraid for their lives. They were behind closed doors. But when Jesus showed up, business picked up. And you and I do well to think about today that we've got a lot of things waiting on us. There are opportunities and oppositions. There is advancement and there is those things that would hinder us on the outside. But oh, friend, if we could just take a fresh look at Him. Amen. Now, I notice in the text that the Scripture says in verse number 20 that He showed unto them His hands and His side. Now, I would remind you this morning that the only thing we know about Christ is what He reveals to us. Amen. I'm glad He has many ways that He reveals Himself. The Bible said the handiwork of God is declared by the heavens. I believe that nature itself declares some things about the Savior. I'm persuaded that His Word teaches us about His character. The Scripture said, Lo, I come in the volume of the book. It is written of me. And the Holy Ghost of God works within us to reveal Christ to us. I say thank God for the glimpses that I've been permitted in my lifetime, the days of my conversion. Thank God for the opportunities that I've been given to get a little glimpse of Him and to behold His glory and to know His presence and His power. Everything that we have about Christ is revealed by Christ. And I think about this text, the Bible says that He showed them His hands and His side. Now, what about that? Out of all the things that He could have showed them, Brother Dent, He showed them His hands and His side. Must have been something about those hands. Must have been something about that side that they needed to know about Him. And I believe from a practical perspective that the reason He showed them His hands and His side was because those were the first and the last elements of the crucifixion. When they took Christ to Galgotha's hillside, the first thing they would have done was to have laid Him on that cross and nailed His hands to that cross piece. They had saw that. And the last thing that was done at Calvary was when that Roman soldier took that spear and pierced the side of the Savior. And forthwith came that blood and water. Now I remind you that it appears that when Christ 
as the resurrected Christ appeared to his disciples, there was something different about him. There was something unique about him. Those Emmaus too did not know him. And one of the gospel accounts said that he appeared unto them in another form. I don't know what that was. But God hid his features in such a fashion that they did not immediately recognize him. I believe probably that's what you're seeing here. Mary Magdalene didn't recognize him when he spoke to her in the garden. And now as he appears to his disciples, they're looking for his identity. And he says to them, see my hands. And immediately they thought about Calvary. See my side. And they immediately knew that this was him who is altogether lovely. And I'm persuaded that there's more to the story that perhaps than just lies on the surface. That in the context of the passage, Jesus shows them two things when he could have shown them dozens of things. He could have revealed the, he could have revealed the prince in his feet. He could have showed them other things that would have revealed his divine identity. But he chose rather to show them hands at his side. Could it be that in those hands and in those side, or in that side, and that there rested some divine quality and that they were going to so need when they closed down the chapter that was passed and opened up the new pages. And they began this great journey. And don't you think perhaps Christ was showing them that if you'll get this glimpse of me, you'll find what you need to get done what I'm asking you to do. Think about it. First of all, He said, see my hands. Can I pause long enough to go on record as saying, my, what a pair of hands. Amen. There's never been any hands like those hands. Say amen right there. There's never been any hands like those hands. And I thought about when he showed them his hands. And they beheld those hands, those that were the hands of creation. They needed to know that there was one who had power. And there was one that had ability. And for those hands had spoken everything into existence. I remember hearing James Jones make this statement. He said the failure of the New Testament church of this generation is a failure to is to declare that the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is God incarnate. He is God in flesh. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld His glory and the glory of the only begotten of the Father full of grace and truth. Every false religion, every occult wants to deny or otherwise compromise the absolute deity of Jesus Christ. But He's more than a man. He's the God-man. And those hands are the hands of creation. And those hands are the hands that made everything. It was a modern author that made this statement. He says to us, he said, 
And he said, those are at the hands of the king of creation. I'm glad that he made all things, aren't you? I'm glad that he stepped out of nowhere and he stood on nothing and he made everything. Isaiah chapter 40 verse number 12 said that the Bible said that he hath measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and meted out the heaven with his span. Amen. What a set of hands. Those hands will be able to sustain you. Those hands will be able to keep you. Those hands will be able to supply you. It doesn't matter how great a need you've got on you this morning. It doesn't matter how great a burden you're bearing this morning. It doesn't matter how great a tragedy you've got to contend with. It doesn't matter how great a task lies ahead of you. I'm here to tell you His hands are capable hands unto Him that's able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we can ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. These men are about to embark on the journey that have turned the world upside down for Christ's sake. They're going to face some things that nobody's ever faced before. But they've got in the back of their mind His hands. And the hands of creation are there for me. Thank God for those hands. I remember hearing about in a bygone era, and I imagine down here in the south of Georgia, you you would have known a little bit about this, but in a bygone era, we used to go and preach live on the radio. We'd have a little old studio, and you'd go in, have your 30-minute time slot, and the light would come on, you'd preach, you'd keep on preaching when the light went off, it'd make no difference. Nobody was hearing you anyway. Say amen. Taught you a little bit about watching your time. There was a story told about this particular little town. There was some preachers that was in there, and they had back-to-back slots. And one of them believed in eternal security. He was the Baptist preacher, and the other was the charismatic fellow, and he didn't believe in eternal security. That fellow get in there, and he said that every Sunday, that charismatic fellow would make fun of the Baptist fellow because of his position on eternal security. The Sunday before, that preacher, the Baptist preacher, said, he said that we're in the hands of God, and no man can pluck us out of the hands of God. Well, that charismatic fellow didn't like that, so he said when his time started that day, he said, oh, he said, you may be in the hand of God, and you may not be able to be plucked out of His hand, but you can walk out at your discretion. You can walk out when you get ready. You can leave Him when you choose to. That Baptist fellow never missed a beat. He quoted that verse I just read out of Isaiah. And he said he holds the waters of the world in the hollow of his hand. He said, if you're going to walk out of that hand, you better get to walking. Amen. Well, I'm glad he's got a hand. A hand of creation. It's a hand of authority. It's a hand of ability. It's a hand of power. Amen. Then number two, I want you to write this down. Not only were those the hands of creation, but when Christ showed him his hands, those were the hands of compassion. Amen. 
Amen. They had seen those hands in action. I'd go a little further than that and say they had seen those hands personally. Amen. It occurs to me that inside that gathering of those disciples that there was some that had been personally touched. Their lives had been changed because they met the Savior. Amen. Well, I sure am glad that He's got hands of compassion. Those hands of compassion remind us that He's personable. Amen. Oh, aren't you glad that you can approach Him, that you can come to where He is. He's not some distant deity. But the Bible said He was tempted in all points, even as you and I are yet without sin. I said, I'm glad this morning that He allows you and I to come to where He is. I'm glad that we can approach Him. Hallelujah. Hey, I didn't have to have permission to pray today. I didn't have to get the priest. I didn't have to get three or four men together. I just had the ability to lower my eyes and make my cry know that I was ushered in to the very throne room of heaven itself. Blessed be the name of the Lord. They've been touched. Those hands have made a difference in their lives. Those hands have rectified their circumstances and situations. I thought about the hands and how often in that New Testament you'll find the expression that He touched them. Well, I'm glad that He touched some things, aren't you? He touched the eyes of the blind, laid His hands on them, and they could see. He touched the leprous man, and he was made clean of his leprosy. He touched the lame man, and he began to walk. He touched the dead man, and he got up from the grave. Those hands are hands that not only sympathize, but they change things. Amen. I heard somebody saying, I've said it for years, I like the way Christ preached funerals. Because if He got invited to the funeral, they just got up. Amen. How about that? I find at least three times He resurrected somebody from the dead. That's right. There was that little girl, she'd just barely dead. There was a widow of Nain's son, she'd been, he'd been dead about a day. And there's Lazarus, he's done where he stank. It doesn't really matter how much you're in. If sin has a hold on you, just a little bitty dead. Just a day dead or a lifetime dead where the filth and the rot and the corruption's already present. It doesn't make any difference. He's able. Aren't you glad? I like the story about that widow of name, Luke chapter 7. The Bible said there was a funeral procession coming out of the out of, out of name. And what a, what a terrible picture. The Bible said she's a widowed woman, and this is her only son. There's a whole crowd of the little village that's following her, and the Bible reminds us they're making much ado. There's a tumultuous activity. They're weeping and wailing and crying. If you'd have fallen in step, Brother Kinman, with those weeping folk, you'd have heard the conversation go something like this as they blotted their eyes and blowed their nose. If they said, I don't know how she's going to make it. I just don't understand how she's going to make it. What in the world is she going to do? 
I don't know how in the world she's going to make it. And she's probably just got her head bowed and tears are flowing. Her heart's heavy. Her life's in an uproar. Her only boy's dead and on that funeral pyre. And they're headed to the graveyard and they're going to bury him. And coming into town that day was another caravan. That crowd didn't have the same attitude. And they're somersaulting and kicking high and shouting the victory. And because they're in the presence of the Nazarene. Hallelujah. And when they intersected just outside of town, it's life and death. It's hopelessness and help. Woo! Glory to God. I remember the day when there was an intersection in my life. And life met death. Helplessness met hope. Amen. There they stand. And the Bible said, Jesus, there was moved with compassion on that little woman. He he had empathy toward her situation. So that crowd behind her, that crowd was compassionate. That crowd was empathizing and sympathizing. But Jesus could do something different than he could. He stopped the funeral pyre, touched that fire, and he said, boy, get up. Your mama needs you. And he raised up and went home that day. I'm glad I know those hands. Those disciples were going to need those hands to help them through their lives. I'm glad His hands are the hands of compassion. But there's not only the physical things. But how about those hands? They reached over and touched the grieving. And there was comfort. They reached over and touched the disturbed. How about that maniac of Gadara? After Jesus touched him, he is clothed and in his right mind, seated at the feet of Jesus. He teaches, he touches those that are hurting. Even touch those that are sinful. Amen. Even touch the sinful ones. There's a picture for us in the Gospel of John about a woman taken in the very act of adultery. If she is clothed at all, she is scantily clad. And they had roughly taken her and dragged her through the streets in humiliation and embarrassment. Cast her at the feet of Jesus to tempt him. And they said that, well, the law of Moses teaches us we should stone her. What are you saying? And and he just kneeled down and began to write in the sand. And we could speculate on what he was writing. Somebody said he wrote the law and that they ought to brought the man also. Somebody said he wrote, I love you. Somebody said he just doodled because their argument was nonsense. I don't know. But he wrote in the sand. One by one, his detractor, her detractors left. Her accusers left until there was nobody. There, what a day! Can't you imagine that little old woman's a trembling, and he reaches over and touches her. Woo! Life had changed because those hands are forgiven hands. Hey, I know what it is to be touched by the hands of the Lord. Then let me say number three, and I'm hurrying now. But one, there's the hands of creation. He reached out and made everything. By him was not anything made that that was made, except he made it. I don't know, y'all may not appreciate this, but I thought to myself, I like the second part better than the first. For he said, not only did he create all things, but it said by him all things consist. Amen. Water still runs downhill. Birds still remember their song. Hallelujah. Why? Because 
because He made it. And, and He causes it to continue. But thank God for the hands of creation. Powerful hands. Then there's those hands. Those, those hands of compassion. And those are personable hands. Approachable hands. Then there's the hands of Calvary. Those were nail-pierced hands. You know, I need not be neglectful of remembering that those hands they still bore the wounds of Calvary. I don't understand all that, but the Bible said that in the latter days, those that had uh, that had crucified him would see him, and they'd see those pierced hands. Yeah, they'd say, "How'd you get those?" And he said, "I got those in the house of my friend." Uh, wounded hands, the hands of Calvary. Uh, those hands are not only for power. Uh, those hands are not only for personableness, uh, but those hands are for pardon. Uh, boy, I'm glad that he showed them those hands to remind them that he'd done the job that he came to do. Well, I was going to say something about those hands of Calvary. I'd have to remind you, first of all, they're fleshly hands. Hallelujah. I've been quoted John chapter 1, verse number 14, where he said, And the Word was made flesh. Uh, it probably needed verses 1 and 2 quoted. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, the same as in the beginning with God. Uh, hallelujah. Uh, I like that, don't you? Uh, and the Word was made flesh, brought among us, and we beheld His glory. Uh, and the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Uh, I like that text. It reminds us of those hands. Uh, but I really like Hebrews chapter number 10. I tell folks that's my Christmas message. Yeah. The Bible said when he cometh into the world, I think it's verse number 4. Yeah. When he cometh into the world, yeah, he saith, yeah. burnt offerings and sacrifices thou wouldest not, yeah. but a body yeah. thou hast prepared me. Yeah. Woo! Hallelujah! Hey, can I say to you, He had to become what we are so that we could become who He is. Amen! For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that though He was rich, yet for our sakes He became poor. And that we, through His poverty, might be made rich. Those hands are hands of flesh. Because there had to be a body broken. There had to be a sacrifice made. Uh, when he looked into that cup uh, and he knew that meant separation from his father, uh, he said, if there's any other way, uh, let this cup pass. Uh, but he cried, nevertheless, not my will, uh, but thy will be done. Uh, he knew there's no other way. Uh, and can I say to you, it was necessary and that something had to die. Uh, and the pattern established in the old is, is perfected in the new. Uh, somebody had to die. That the price had to be paid. And Christ paid that price. I bless His name. Those are the hands of Calvary. And they're, they're fleshly hands. Those are the same hands. Those are the same hands that when he grew hunger would pull the ears of corn on the Sabbath day from off the stalk and eat the corn. Amen. Those are the same hands that would be waved over the bow of the ship. And that when the waves were tremposious and the winds were blowing and he'd say, Peace, be still, hallelujah. Same hands. But at Calvary, they became the hands of sacrifice. At Calvary, that body had to be broken uh, to satisfy the demands of the law. Uh, and he said, look at my hands. Uh, these are the hands of pardon. And 
because I became what you needed to have as a sacrifice. Number one, they're fleshly hands. Number two, they're sinless hands. Amen. You see, he didn't die for himself. He didn't die because he was guilty. He died because I was guilty. Yeah. Amen. He didn't die because he owed a debt. He died because I owed a debt. Yeah. Amen. He died because he loved me. He sacrificed himself as a substitute for my sin. But the Bible said, he which knew no sin. Do you realize that those hands had never performed a lewd act? Those hands had never done anything that was against the law. Those hands had never committed one sin. Those hands were sinless hands. And yet by the hands of sinful men, those hands were crucified. That blood was shed. That life was given. That body was broken. So that you and I, that they were without hope and without help and possessed nothing within us that could rectify and the divide between us and the Father. There had to be a daysman. There had to be somebody to reconcile us. And that somebody was Jesus Christ. He said, these are the hands of Calvary. This is how the job got They're fleshly hands. They're sinless hands. They're satisfying hands. Amen. Man, I'm telling you, those hands satisfied the Father. Those hands paid the debt. Those hands took care of the tragedy of my transgressions. Nothing else had satisfied. The bears had brought their sacrifices and laid them upon the altar for thousands of years until the blood run and puddled and pooled at the foot of the sacrificial altar. But they never not one time pleased God. Never not one time pleased God. Amen. But in heaven... 2,000 years ago when these hands, amen, when these hands, when these hands, and there's a little here. Now, I'm persuaded that there's a small gap of time between verse 18 and verse 19 because it gives us a new reference to time in verse 19, the same day at evening, and the things that took place in verse 18 took place in the morning. They'd come early that morning. They'd seen that the stone was rolled away. They'd seen the vision of the angels. They'd even gone inside and saw those things. And then we see Christ appearing. Nobody remains but Mary Magdalene. And the Bible said when Mary saw him and she heard his voice, it wasn't until he spoke that she recognized him. When when she heard his voice, she realized it was him and she reached out to touch him, to worship him. And the Bible said he said, touch me not. He said because time-wise, chronologically, he said I've not yet ascended to the Father. Don't defile the sacrifice. I'm on my way yeah, to pay the sin debt. And he said, as I passed between the land of the living and the dead, he said, I heard you crying, and I just thought I'd stop by and whisper a word of encouragement. I'm alive. I'm going to go take care of business. Go tell my men. Go tell my disciples yeah, that I go to the Father. Amen. And I'll see them shortly. Yeah. The Bible said Mary took off toward town. Amen. Brother Willard said yeah. that she dropped the pail, jumped the rail with a message to tell. And she took off down the hill, running to go tell those disciples. There's another gospel account of the same situation, same time frame. And the Bible said that as she got to town, apparently 
there were some other ladies there and they all met up. The Bible said Jesus met them. Bob Jones Sr. said saints running in the way of obedience are most often met by the Master. But when there was something different, Brother Dent, they said when they saw Him that time, just moments later, just enough time for her to get from the garden to the city. The Bible said that He allowed them to hold Him. Why? Because He'd done gone into the holy place. He'd done gone into not the shadows. He ripped that veil down when He was on the cross. When He ripped that veil down and revealed what was in the holiest of holies to the eyes of human man, humanity, He said it doesn't matter anymore. He said, you won't need this mercy seat. You won't need this brazen altar. He said this was just a shadow. It was a temporary substitute to get us to the real thing. And He said, but I'm going not into the holy of holies made with hands, but He said rather into that one that's eternal in the heavens. And He took His own blood and He sprinkled His own blood upon the sacrifice, making Him the threefold purchaser of our atonement. For He was our high priest, He was our sacrifice, and He was our scapegoat. All in one, one in all, He's everything that we need and so much more. Amen. Those hands. And he went in, he went in and he paid that price and he sprinkled his own blood upon that mercy seat. And when he did that, the Father said, Satisfied. When he saw the travail of his soul, he was satisfied. If you think your futile efforts are going to please the Father, you'll come mighty short. Because the only thing you could have ever done uh, to have bypassed what has been done would have been more perfect than He is, more holy than He is. Uh, and we started off conceived in sin and shaped in iniquity. We were cursed from the onslaught. We had no hope. But thank God He was born uh, so that you and I uh, could have life and have it more abundantly. How dare us be so arrogant as to think going to church or putting a dollar in an offering plate or living a pretty good moral life is enough to satisfy God. How foolish His Son died on Calvary for our sake. Amen? Died for our sake. So those are the hands. But then, let me see if I can touch this quickly. Not only did He say He had the hands of Calvary, but I see in the text that he showed him his side. Now those hands were those first things of Calvary. These, this side is the last thing of Calvary. From a practical perspective, I think it bore this thought. It reminded us that the work of Calvary was complete. Because when that soldier took that sword and pierced under the rib cage of our blessed Lord, some believe that it ruptured the sack around his heart. I, I do not know that makes sense medically speaking. But they said out came blood and water. The biological community will tell you that what was referred to as that clear fluid water, often referred to in that text, was actually a plasmatic mixture. And it simply tells the medical personnel, it tells the biological expert that all the blood has left the body that will not come forth as long as there's blood in the circulatory system. 
There's nothing, there's no, as long as there's blood in that circulatory system, that plasma, that clear water will not come out. When he pierced that side, the last act of the cross, out came blood just a little bit. And the blood was followed by the water. And what he said, he said, it's done. That's everything. I've given it all. And those, soul, those disciples said, we saw it with our own eyes. We knew he was dead. We knew there was nothing left. And he said, look at my side. The work of redemption is complete. Hallelujah. You're not going to add to it. You sure can't take away from it. But God's plan is finished. At Calvary, he cried, it's finished. And the process, boy, it's evidence. When the water came out of his side, it's finished. The work of God is done. You say, preacher, why are you magnifying that? Because those disciples were going to walk out of those closed doors and face a uh, face a, a adversarial world, and they needed to know what they were standing on was finished. How'd you like to be a defender of the NIV? Amen. I know I'm, I know I'm throwing red meat to the base. I get that. Amen. I know where I'm at, and I know we're King James only, and I praise the Lord for that. Amen. But how would you like that? I don't need to defend the King James. Amen. It's just stood 400 years. Nobody ever attacks those other ones. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. But how'd you like to defend the NIV? Because if you were going to defend it like we defend the King James, and I use that word loosely, we go back and we research the history and the affairs and the events that brought us that Bible, and it gives us more confidence in what we stand on. Am I right? But but if you were to do the same thing for the NIV, the first thing that would come to your mind is that the original translators understood that they didn't have the final product. And in their own documentations, they said, this will have to be revised and rewritten. And so how do you tell them? Say, well, I don't know when he'll rewrite it again, but we're going to have to have another version. Or how would you like to explain why verses are missing? How'd you like to understand? No, hey, I'm glad it's complete. Amen. That's why we love the King James. It's a complete Bible. It's a finished product. And if you're going to stand on something, you need to know that you got the final authority. And I've got good news in redemption. It's a finished product. It's complete. He gave it all. He did it all. The price is paid in full. You can see it in his side. His side represents his, his side represents his completeness. His side reminded us of the church. That bride, amen, it was Matthew Henry that penned those great words that said he did not take that he did not take Eve from the head of Adam so that she would rule over him nor under his feet so she would be trampled by him. But she took him from his rim in his side under his arm so that he would be, she would be near him, close to his heart, to be loved by him, under his arm, to be protected and provided by for by him. Amen. Hey, he put us in his side. Amen. There's a wound in his side. And that's the church. That church. I, I, years ago when I was a boy preacher, I'd preach in Rockmark, Georgia. And I preached for George Robinson. Um, Brother George many years gone to glory now. But I'd preach for him often, three or four times a year usually. Sometimes you go and preach for him. You preach three or four times for the day. But there wasn't nowhere in Rockmark to go eat. So we always went over to his and Sister Robinson's home, they were, they were grandparents with great grandkids then. And, uh, 
She always put out a nice meal and we'd eat our lunch and, and always have just a little bit of time to kill Brother Kidman before we had to go back to the service or over to the radio station or up to the nursing home, whatever the afternoon call for. And uh, he, 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 she loved flowers and, 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 and gardening plants and he loved orchards and trees. And he'd always take you out. He liked to show you his apple trees and his peach trees. And he had the most unusual apple tree I've ever seen in my life, Brother David. Most unusual tree. And you may not believe this, but it bore multiple species of apples. How it did. Now, I don't remember the species, but if you'll allow me to use this for illustration purposes, it had one branch that produced red apples, while another branch produced yellow apples. And I said to him, I said, how did that happen? And he said, oh, he said, let me show you. And he said, I went over to a healthy apple tree. He said it was a young apple tree and it was a healthy apple tree. And he said, I cut a branch off. He said, for all practical purposes, that branch is now dead. Y'all get that in a minute. It's been severed from the trunk of life and it's dead. We were dead in trespasses, dead in sin. And he said, he said, then I'll take that branch that I've cut off of that live apple tree that's now dead. And he said, I take a good sharp knife and I whittle off the end of it until it's a point like a pencil. I thought that might be a little picture of conviction right there. Amen. Kind of whittle you down a little bit. Still dead. Amen. But it's ready for life. And then he said, I've got my old faithful apple tree over here. He said, it's old. It's been around a long time. I'm talking about the one had the multiple breeds, multiple species of apples growing on it. And he said, it's got a good, strong, hardy trunk. And he said, what I do, he said, I go over there to the trunk of that apple tree. And he said, I make a deep cut. And he said, you've got to cut it deep enough so that it bleeds. <laughs> and he said, you've got to open that thing up a little bit. And he said, once you get that wound in the trunk of that tree so that it bleeds, he said, then I take that dead limb that's been whittled off on the end. And he said, I take it and I insert it in the wound of the trunk of that tree. He said, I take a little mud and I cover it up and I support it. Yeah. And he said, in a few weeks, he said, that dead limb begins to grow again. Yes. That which was dead has been resurrected and it lives again because it's now in a living tree. Hallelujah. May I say I'm not a Jew. I don't look like a Jew. I don't act like a Jew. But 2,000 years ago, they made a deep incision in the trunk of my Savior. And I've been grafted in. And I'm alive today because I'm in Him and He's in me. And I say bless His name. He has a side today where you can find a place Still live. Speaks about his completeness, speaks about the church. And then he showed him his side, and I'm done with this. He said it speaks about his care. It was under that side that he could care for them. And I don't know, every time I preach this or think about this subject, we're protected by him, we're cared for by him. His unconditional love is identified. He wants us. Close. Right. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. Are you listening? He wants us by Him. My mind always goes to the 33rd chapter of the book of Exodus. And in that chapter of Exodus 33, God said, I'm not going to go up with you. You're going to go on up by yourself, but I'm not going to go up with you. And Moses stood in the way with the fury of God's wrath. And he said, Lord, 
if your presence isn't going to go with us, let us die in the wilderness. Don't send us up at all. We don't want to go anywhere without your presence. He qualified his love for the Lord. Well, the Lord said, all right, I'll do this thing for you. I'll go with you, and I'll drive out the enemies from you. And then he got down about verse, so I don't know, 18 or 19. And that relationship, that fellowship's going real well between Moses and the Lord. And he said, preventure, Lord, if I found favor in in your sight. He said, let me see your glory. Let me see your glory. What do you want to do? See the face of God. He said, let me see your glory. Now God would say to Moses, you can't see the face of God and heal. And he never did say he'd show him his glory and say, we think about his glory. But he said, I'll tell you what I'll do. He said, I'll let you see my goodness. And I'll show you my mercy. (laughs) Amen. And he said uh, in verse number 21, he said, there is a place by me. I'm glad God's still got a place beside you. God's still got a place. And if you'll get in that place, he'll pass by. The Bible said he'll put you in the cleft of the rock and he'll cover you with his hand. And when he passes by, he'll remove his hand. And you'll get a glimpse of his hinder side. You'll get a glimpse of his goodness. You'll get a glimpse of his mercy. You'll get a glimpse of his tenderness. You'll get a glimpse of his love. And you'll be there beside him. If it ever occurs to you, he wants you beside him. He doesn't want us distant from him. He wants us beside him. Amen. Amen. That's the truth. And we spend our Christian lives sometimes over there. Mm-hmm. When he said, why don't come you on, come here? Come on, preacher. Amen. Yeah. We're over there. And he said, why don't you come here? A couple that had been married for 30 or 40 years was sitting in their automobile late on a Saturday night coming down through a residential street. She was on her side of the car. He was on his. And as they eased their way down through that residential street, they came up behind a a, a pickup truck, I guess. And there was a young set of adults in that car. And they're sitting almost on top of each other. Looked like a two-headed monster. She is so close to him, up under the edge of his shoulder, couldn't even figure out how he could drive with her all wedged up under him that way. About that time, Brother Dent, that woman on that far side of that car said, Look! He slammed on his brake and swerved three times before he realized there wasn't nothing wrong. Y'all men will say amen right there. Mm. He said, Look at what? said, look at them. He didn't ring a bell with him. He said, what do you mean? He said, look where she's sitting. Look where she's sitting. He said, yes, yeah, she's sitting by him. He said, she said, we used to sit that way. He never missed a beat. He just looked at her and said, I haven't moved. Mm-hmm. Amen. Amen. You're the one that's moved. He said, would you like to see my side? Would you like to see the place where you're complete? 
Would you like to see the place where you abide? Would you like to see the place where you thrive? Would you like to see the place in my side? There's a place by me. You say, preacher, what's revival about? Revival's about getting a new vision of Him. Seeing some hands that's big enough to take care of what you're facing. And seeing a side that beckons you and welcomes you and said, Come, draw near to me. Get up close to me. See what I can do for you. We are distant from Him, but we ought to draw nigh to Him. He shows us His side. So we'll draw close to Him again. That's what revival is. It's a fresh awareness of the Savior. Heads about, eyes are closed. They'll get our invitation. Let me ask you a question this morning. Are you sitting over by the door? Or have you drawn up close to Him? Are you watching from a distance or are you in the middle of the action? Are you handling it on your own or do you need to allow His hands to become paramount in your heart? Hmm. Are you as near to Him today as you was a year ago or two years ago or the day that He saved you? You say, well, preacher, to be honest. Just to be honest, things are not quite what they used to be. Today would be a good day for a fresh start. A new beginning. A renewed commitment. To slide out of your seat and find an altar and say, Lord, I want to get up close by you. I want to be in that place beside you. Maybe you're unsaved today. I certainly don't know everyone in here. Don't know your heart nor your testimony. And you say, preacher, I've never come to Christ. Never been born again. I've played church maybe. I've done this or done that. How insufficient those things are. But His are the hands of Calvary. He has paid the price. We're standing all over the house. They've selected a song of invitation and the music has already begun. The altar is open. I invite you to come on this Sunday morning a revival meeting and say, Lord, I, I need to see those hands. Lord, I need to get in the presence of that side. He'll let you today. Would you come? I am I. Look at him. Would I long to rise that we be strong to heal and be closer drawn to Adversity shut you down. His hindrances and harm. Let him appear in the midst. Let Jesus open those doors that are closed. You need to know he's able. Not only to do what we need him to do, but exceeding abundantly above. Oh, 
what a Savior. What a Lord. Don't miss your opportunity. One more verse, wow. There are depths. 